Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our show. Good people, welcome. By the way, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. Anybody, welcome to our show. Today we discuss about new product launch, development, and I'm excited to discuss this topic with Andrew Deutsch. How are you? I'm great. It's good. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, yeah. It's a big pleasure. I remember our first time. You share a lot of insights. So for me, uh, I, I, I love learning a lot. You know, uh, I'm a student in this life. So when you, uh, I get new skills, yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time always. Uh, before we start, just remind our audience about you, uh, your background experience, and why you decided to pay attention with uh, product launches and development. Sure. Yeah, my, my background, I've been in, in global trade for more years than I care to admit, uh, mm-hmm. working working in strategic marketing in, in 120 different countries over the years. My Our, our core business, Fangled, is, is a, Fangled Group is a, a strategy-first uh strategic marketing marketing organization. And I, I decided today, since we were going to talk about product launch, to bring up where I've been directly involved now for, gosh, it's been, what, eight, nine months, with a perfect example of how products should be launched in in, in the global market. So I've, Smart Soda is a, a, a great example for us to use as sort of a, a conversation piece moving forward. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. Yeah, nice. Okay. Uh... Can you tell where to start? For example, if uh, some companies create uh, high-quality products, uh, competitive products with their unique selling proposition, uh, can you share where to start, what to do in the first stage? Yeah. Stage, stage one is, is the key because this mm-hmm. is where things either happen, might happen, or should die. So in, in a product launch, there's, there's three categories that we sort of look at. One is <laughs> I've invented... I've recognized a true pain, an issue, a problem in the market that everyone else also recognizes. They know it's a problem. And when they see my solution to that problem, they immediately recognize I have a solution to that problem. I get it. The second category is there's a huge problem in the market. We recognize it. And when you see my product, not only as before, you recognize it solves my problem. It's so obvious that you didn't even realize you had the problem. But not only did you discover the problem, but you've also got the solution in hand. And then the third is I've invented something that solves a problem that nobody ever had, nobody ever will have. But if I can BS you enough, you might want to buy my product. That's the stuff that you see on TV uh, at two mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. You know, the we've solved we've solved the problem with can openers. And you kind of go, I never had a problem with a can opener in my life. Why? <laughs> How is this going to change my <laughs> life? Or this is the new way of putting on shoes. And you go. So those, if, if, if a product comes to market where somebody's invented a solution uh, that nobody, to a problem nobody ever had, um, mm-hmm. immediately it's time to, to walk away and, and go on to something better. I, I, mm-hmm. One year ago, a guy had made a, a, a piece of equipment that was designed for you in your bathroom. It cost, I think, $20. And you would save all the little slivers of soap after your shower. And eventually it would create its own new cake of soap so you wouldn't waste any soap. And in the, in, the, yeah. in the conversation with the guy, I said, well, what if I just took that sliver and stuck it to the next bar of soap and <laughs> used it then? Why am I going to spend $20? The other aspect of it is if you go to a wholesale club 
and you buy 12 bars of soap, they're what, 20 something cents a piece? How mm -hmm. many bars of soap do you have to make in the 50 years of your life to actually pay for this stupid piece of equipment that wouldn't do anything? So that category <laughs> we discard. Now, the second mm -hmm. category, which is that I didn't know that I had a problem, but when I see the product, I recognize I do. Best example in the world was the iPad. No one really knew that they needed something like that. But as soon as people saw what it could do, they started to recognize all the problems it could solve. And it became a, a great product launch. Those take a little bit longer because you've got to have that, that buyer's cycle where they start to recognize uh, that those problems are there. Um, years ago, they put uh, water dispensers in the front of refrigerators. And people were like, gosh, you know, that's, that's novel. But then they went, wait a minute. Billy drinks out of the water bottle. There's breadcrumbs in the water bottle. The, all the, the other ways that we got cold water out of the fridge, what a great solution. And it became a major, a major selling point in refrigerators. There are many people would never think of buying a fridge that didn't have a chilled water dispenser because they want chilled water. So that's the, sort of that second. Now, Smart Soda and many of the others, these are what I call the gold, the buddy, with the exception of, you know, 1% recognized. Sodas and most of the beverages in the market just aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. The other is uh, a, a known problem. Like, for example, at the convenience store, 20 years ago, you would walk into a convenience store. And everybody's walking out with a big grog, you know, the big gulp from the 7-Eleven world or the big freeze or whatever it was, because the fountain was the king. And that's where convenience stores made all their money. Now, most people want what they call value added waters and things like that. So they go to the cooler and they'll pay $3.50 for some sort of an energy drink. It's only 10, 12 ounces where they could have gone to the fountain and gotten a drink that's five times that size for less money, but there's nothing there that they want. There's a whole series of problems in the, in the beverage industry. And what Smart Soda did is they made truly the healthy alternative that not only replaces all of the, the, the bad ideas of some of, the, some of the sort of dangerous products in the market or the unhealthy products, I should say, not dangerous. But mm -hmm. in a way that the consumer immediately recognizes that it's for them. So convenience store owners go, wait a minute, I can sell at the machine what was in the cooler at a higher margin. If somebody gives me a dollar at the fountain, I get to keep 50 cents of it. If they spend a dollar in the cooler, I get 10 cents. But also the consumer goes, I can finally get that drink that I want back at the fountain and get more of it for my money. So there's there's so many, and I'm, I'm just touching the surface of all of the ways that it solves a problem. If you're, if you're a kid who, whose parents don't let you have sodas because they have high fructose corn syrup in it, these guys have a healthier sugar. It's, a, it's an organic sugar. If you don't want sugar at all, they have flavored waters. And then they sort of took it to the next level and created the ability to mix and match with what, what's called a functional shot. Imagine you can go up to a machine and say, you know what, I'd like a sparkling mango water, but I want it to be an energy drink. You can actually create it at the, at the machine. So in one location, you can have a combination of, of 100 and something different drinks that for the consumer makes, makes them happier because they're getting more for their money. It tastes good. And for the convenience store, they're making more money and they don't have to stock, they don't have to... Uh, receive all the deliveries. They don't have to fill the cooler. So, so it's, mm -hmm. it's a perfect fit for what we were talking about. And I can, I can show you some other examples too, besides just smart soda, but in, in the world of product launch, if you've got a known problem that you can solve better than anybody else, 
and people recognize your solution is the solution, that's where product launch is, is super, super smooth. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it. Uh, you know, in marketing, we have uh, interesting quote, if you sell uh to everyone you sell to no one you know and uh, yeah I, I like your examples uh, about learning customers uh and think how you can uh help them to decide their problems because existing solutions can't help it by the way uh yeah i think uh, most uh, recognizable uh products uh appeal uh, when uh, that was hard time to consume existing products can you tell more about how to learn customers at that point for example if someone wanna uh, decide customer problems how to learn and gain this data to know what kind of problems they have and think how uh, it's possible to create such product that will provide something sure. that competitors uh, don't have yeah well the, the first stage of it is and this is this is another place that, that gets a little iffy when you're in the consulting world is you as, as the inventor, you as the person who wants to bring a product to market, forget that you're not your market. So, you know, I, I've, I've, I have a hobby and I've found a way to solve a problem in a hobby that, that's phenomenal. And, and it works for me. It doesn't mean that anybody else is going to agree. Anybody else is going to like it. It also doesn't mean that the size of the market is big enough to bring a, a product to. You know, imagine that you've got some sort of an obscure personal hobby that you do. And you come up with a tool that that completely and totally solves the problem for that hobby. But in the world, there's only 3000 people who do it. So so you mm -hmm. need to understand outside of yourself, how many other people have this problem? Well, mm -hmm. do they do they have a need to fix the problem? Do they recognize it as something that they need to fix? Do they have the money? Is it a, is is your solution an economical solution? Like, for example, if I told you that I just solved a way to repair a flat tire on your car, but the tool that's going to sit in your car, a robot that does that, that you might use once every six years, costs $50,000. Now, now, look, a flat tire on the highway is dangerous. So you'd push a button on your dashboard, trunk opens, robot climbs out, lifts your car, changes it, even in the rain. Beautiful thing. It'd be wonderful if it existed, but if it costs more than your car... Mm -hmm. Is that a viable product launch? Is it affordable? Can can, can mm -hmm. everybody fit within that economic model? So yeah. there's you know the, the fact that that you think it's a great idea and you can afford it doesn't mean that the market's going to accept it. So there's there's lots of factors that that, that play into this uh, this space. Mm -hmm. um, and and the other side of it is um, you know is it. Is it something that somebody else could easily creep in? And now that you've solved the problem, come right alongside of you and do it even better. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't yeah. spend much time looking back at what everybody else is doing because it takes the focus away from moving forward and make things happen. But you got to know, um, is your solution unique? Is it patentable? Is it something that, that others can't copy right away? Or you solve the solution to the problem and all of a sudden your competitors or people who are already in the market, well, I just make one tweak and this guy, this guy's dead. So all, all of those factors have to be, have to be really looked at. And, mm -hmm. and the challenge many people have too, is that their excitement to launch that new product um, should have been replaced with silence. You, you have to kind of work in a bubble to, to be ready to launch before you start to uh, alert everyone else <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you take your kid to the petting zoo. There's a whole bunch of animals mm -hmm. 
pet and they're all really calm. And the little little kid says, no, I want to run out there and I want to, I want to pet that. And you go, well, why don't we take it slow, not let the animals know that we want to pet all of them. When we get up to them, we can. Because if you rush out there, they're all going to scatter. You won't pet any of the animals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, love it. Love these examples. Okay. Uh, you know, um, I have two uh, different quotes in marketing. For example, uh, uh, good marketing can destroy uh bad products you know yeah we know about that uh and uh, the second way uh many uh entrepreneurs proclaim you need to uh, provide uh, a raw version of your product when uh, it's not updated uh, to learn customers feedback for example if you know that uh, you can develop innovate but it's better to launch uh, some not good version, uh, like, uh, but you can learn feedback and know exactly uh, what you need to develop and innovate, especially wh when you have limited resources. Can yeah. you tell uh, how to find this balance between uh, the first version and uh, marketing? Because uh, if we waste a lot of money with marketing, with bad product, it doesn't work. What do you think yeah. about that? Well, again, it's it's the homework aspect. If, if you don't do the research up front to find out if in fact it's you who's excited or the market will be excited because you're not your market, um, mm -hmm. you could fall into that pitfall. Um, the, the, the other aspect is that if you don't properly test among the crowd, you may miss out on many of the unique benefits that are there that you don't even recognize. I, I can't tell you how many projects I've worked on where the problem that we solve was our main focus. And before long, we realized that we were solving four other problems we weren't even aware of. Um, with the same product. Mm -hmm. um, it may be that the, the size of, of a competitor's product was an issue. We didn't know it. So you have to know how to very stealthily do your research to not alert the market of what you're doing. Um, but also, uh, you know, really, really understand what the market is interested in, not what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. so one, yeah. well, I'll, I'll give you a fun example. So one of the other products from, from these guys from Smart Soda is the smart slushy. You know, the slushies that that drink that the kids want at the convenience store that turns their teeth colors. And if you really look at the ingredients, um, most parents probably wouldn't want their kids drinking it. It's got petroleum based dyes. It has high fructose. It's got there. There's nothing in there that should go into your body as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. So we you know, we were looking at this market and it turns out that the main reasons that parents say no is because of the artificial colors, the horrible high levels of, of syrup, sugars, and things that are in it. It's really unhealthy for the kids. So the product became the Smart Slushy, which is made with an alkaline water. It's made with more natural ingredients, and it's made with uh, either organic cane sugar or, or, or a diet which is a, a, not one of the mystery sugars. So now, as it's starting to go to market and it's starting to grow in the market, we're discovering that really what we've created is the only slushy in the market we're aware of that parents want to say yes to. So once we figured that out, how do you market it? Well, let's talk to the kids. The kids are the ones who go, hey, mommy, can I have a slushy? Mommy says, no, those things are awful for you. Your, mm -hmm. your tongue's going to be purple and, and you're going to be on a sugar buzz because you're going to spike from the from the fructose, you can't have it. And the kid goes, but mom, it's a smart slushy. It has, it's made with alkaline water. It has organic sugar in it. It doesn't have those, those horrible colors and chemicals. 
And the mom has to go, oh, well, and it turns out that lots of kids who previously weren't allowed to have them now can have it because it's, it's not a health food. It's, it's got sugar in it. It has, it, it has organic cane, but if you're going to give your kid sugar, at least make it a sugar that, that, that isn't, doesn't come out of a chemistry set. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's that process. And it was almost sort of an unknown when, when the product was first contemplated, it began as what else can we put on the, on the store shelf at a convenience store? And then mm-hmm. as we did our research and we started talking to the market and looking at flavors and looking at how it goes to market, we discovered this nuance, which actually became the central focus of, of how you market that product. Finally, a slushy mm-hmm. parents want to say yes to. Love it. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, there of lazy marketers is that, you know, when you share all these insights, I understand that it's the process, you know, <laughs> when you uh, research, spend time, uh, get uh, valuable insights uh, and yeah, you you can add them. Can you tell more about technical aspect of uh, research? Uh, how to do it? For example, do we need to speak with customers, uh, search on social media, rely on tools or any uh, other uh, things that can help to uh, provide yeah. uh, high quality research? It's a good question. One of the things that always gets overlooked too is to look at existing patents and things that are out there, protections. Because mm-hmm. I've seen projects go, go to their death when they do have a new solution to something, but not to the point that it doesn't infringe on an existing patent and could become a very financial, financially dangerous move. The second is to really understand the scope of the market. If you're making a product, for example, I don't know, let's say for the hobby, for the sport industry, um, it's an accessory that goes on uh, leisure kayaks. I don't know, I'm just picking something out of the air. Um, Mm -hmm. You need to know how many kayaks are registered in, or, or in current use in the U.S. How many new ones get sold every year? How many leave the market? What is the total scope and scale of that market? And of those people, what are the price points? Because if you come out with a product that costs, I don't know, say $500 for the kayak world, uh, most kayaks maybe are sold for less than that, and your accessory becomes a ridiculous piece of it. Maybe what you've got is is something that that, that can go to that whole market. So not only know the whole market, what of that market is attainable based on what, what you believe that, that would purchase it and have the capability to purchase it. Then you, you really want to look and make sure that there's no regulatory issues with bringing it to market. Are you, are you creating something that, that might not pass consumer testing that, that might have some sort of nuance to it that would give it a negative that in today's world that has some sort of culture significance that, that would be a problem? Um, there, there's all of those aspects. In the old the old school days, you know, you'd want to do focus groups and things like that. Now there's there's more modern sort of proprietary things that we do at our company to test products in the market in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. You you don't want to over test so that you're you spend all of your time, you know, spend six months trying to aim, um, and then by the time you go to shoot the the the, the game is over. But at the same time. Um, at the same time, you you, you kind of have to you kind of have to to do enough of it to know that you're making the the right choice. So uh, I, I don't remember exactly how the expression goes, but it's you know don't ever don't ever let perfection get in the way of good enough. Yeah, I always sort of move a little bit better than good enough. Um, <laughs> I don't need perfection, but I really want to understand and trust my data before I make major financial decisions. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you remind me a book about Jeff Bezos and uh, on his meetings when uh, his team uh, spend time with researching and provide insights uh, and uh, share. We need more time to test, to analyze, to gain data. And he replied to them, no way, guys, nobody knows what works. You know, it's better to test. It's better to act, you know, and we can uh, analyze it works or not. So um, I think, yeah, it's better to find the balance between research yeah. and uh, over research. I think it's like it's the same with uh, overlearning. Uh, when someone overlearn and do nothing with acting, you know, yeah. it doesn't work. You can read. Uh, hundred books how to play soccer but if you don't play soccer <laughs> you can't be good soccer player so yeah, yeah. It, it's more... there's, there's, there's something to be said too and, and i'm a big proponent of what we call the pilot program but mm -hmm. it's not always viable if doing a pilot program requires you to spend millions of dollars in tooling and everything to make prototypes to go to market with sometimes it's not it's not viable um, mm -hmm. so you have to kind of do a cost analysis of whether whether it's worth it but to be able to choose a very specific market and play <laughs> before you go global is a mm -hmm. very, very yeah. powerful way of making things, um, making things happen. So I, yeah. I, I, I would say out of, I don't know, maybe a hundred product launch projects that we've done through, through my career, um, mm -hmm. I bet you 80% of them we've done to some degree, uh, a pretty advanced pilot program. And maybe out of that last 20, 10 of them, we did, a limited one just to make sure um so those and the other is you know when you've when you've got prototype stuff going on as long as it's a functional prototype being able to take it to a variety of different audiences and get the proper feedback um can also be a great tool mm -hmm. nice nice love it um yeah uh, by the way big companies like instagram youtube or uh i don't know any companies and they check out new features with some countries you know specific country uh for example instagram reels uh check out in india uh, the first time google can provide new features uh, in the us or canada so they choose one country learn feedback and then move globally yeah, totally yeah the in, the digital, in the digital space test marketing and and pilot programs can can be significantly easier than when you're actually manufacturing and building or or producing a uh, an actual physical product it's, mm -hmm. it's the, the everything that we've talked about sort of shifts a little bit the different direction it's also a lot easier to do group testing in the digital space without alerting your competitors because it can be done in a very uh a very secure sort of way that you can't do you know if you ever watch like when when the the car companies have a new model they go to the trouble of wrapping it with vinyl wrapping that have all sorts of printing on it in a way that make it impossible to get a good photo um, mm -hmm. Because it's it's so public that these these guys have drones and they have everything trying to take pictures of the test tracks. In the digital space, you can you can be a lot more uh, a lot more uh, obscure and and, and I, I can't think of the right word, but um, covert <laughs> covert. Uh huh. Okay, got it. Okay, let's talk about uh, the first day of uh, launch our product. Uh, we have many different marketing channels to promote products and PR campaigns. Can you tell how to choose the right channel uh, or PR campaigns uh, for the first day when you wanna uh, say the, yep. about new products? Yeah, mm -hmm. part, part of that initial marketing research, let's go back to the beginning again, is we recognize that there's a problem and we have a solution. The next step is who are the people who recognize this problem? Where are they and, and where do they live? 
Where do they play? And if you're if you're doing that proper research, and again, it, is it a, is it an industrial mechanical product? Is it a consumer product? Whatever it is, those those aspects, um, and and also digging in once you know who they are, where they are, is where do they get their information? Who do they trust? And and what are some of the pitfalls that exist in that market? Then you can start to build a strategy around how you communicate with them to make sure that they recognize immediately what it means to them. Because at the end of the day, 99% of proper marketing really boils down to a what's in it for me analysis. If I, as the consumer, recognize what's in it for me immediately, I'm in. If I don't recognize it, many times I'll find out a year or two years later that, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 I missed out. Mm -hmm. You know, the messaging was so bad um, that I didn't even investigate. That happens to me mm -hmm. a lot with advertising. I'll see some company with just annoying advertising on television. And I don't I don't reach out to them because I'm just annoyed mm -hmm. by them. And later on, I find out that it was the best option out there. And, and I shouldn't have. There's a there's a company here in town that does uh, power washing services. I'm not mm -hmm. going to say the name, but they advertise mm -hmm. the hell out of themselves. And in my mind, as a guy who's in the marketing world, if they're advertising that much, it's going to cost me a fortune to do business with these guys because I'm paying for all those ads. Mm -hmm. Well, about six months ago, I got a call and said, look, you guys are too expensive. And the guy says, well, I've already done a quote because we looked at your house from a satellite image uh -huh. and it would cost this much to do your house. It was half of what I'd been paying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so had, had they reached out to me in a different way initially, I'd have been using them for years. Mm -hmm. But because of the way they go to market and their annoying television commercials and the, just the inundation of ads, in my mind, they weren't somebody I would want to do business with. And the guy just got mm -hmm. lucky that he caught me on a good day when I wasn't making telemarketers uh, re reconsider their career path. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I happened to, 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 he caught me in a weak moment and I, I listened to him because normally I don't. So, yeah, got yeah. it. <laughs> all, all of that's important. I, I, I think it's a, you know, uh, when uh, I'm searching for a new uh, uh, specialist who can help me with my projects, I, I never uh, start uh, searching uh, for their prices because good experts know how uh, yeah. how much to charge because right. they can estimate their time, skills, experience. Sure. So, uh, yeah, uh, of course, uh, when I have a list of people, uh, then I can uh, analyze, do I have the budget? To cooperate with them or not and uh, for me it's better to um, uh, order less but quality than you know to order a lot but uh, mediocre quality to get this generic uh, advertisement yeah i'm not sure yeah. uh, you know, you know, as you shared before you know it yeah, doesn't going, work like, going back to my answer though, there's sort of a second part if mm -hmm. if you're recognizing that when you're going to launch that there are specific clear separate markets that you're dealing with, um, then your strategy has to be, how do I reach each one in a way that they want to be reached? So for example, if you're in the beverage industry, you're, you're selling to restaurants of which you can either have table service or self-serve. You're selling to convenience stores. You're selling to businesses who want to give drinks to their employees to make them happy and healthy. So the, the messaging for all three is completely different. The value prop is completely different. Same product, we're solving all of these problems, but for each of these segments, the problem we're solving is slightly different and the benefit mm -hmm. story is slightly different. So again, mm -hmm. when you go back to um, 
when you go back to the core of doing your research and you recognize, and you may choose based on budget and based on focus, I can, there's five significant segments that I can sell my product into. But I'm going to go after this one first because this is the one that has easiest entry and the one that we know the best. And then we'll go to the second, we'll go to the third. You may choose that, that you can go to all of them at once and see what happens. It depends on the scale of your company, the resources that you have. But all of that is part of that strategy building for launch because the everyone's focused on the day of the launch. The focus should be all the things that got done, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, 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 to get to the point of that launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. Let's talk about, uh, writing the right message, uh, or, uh, crafting, uh, uh, great advertisement. Where to find ideas? Uh, for example, uh, when I check out competitors, I can, uh, you know, uh, for example, I read a few marketing books that you need to learn your competitors. And most companies don't understand how to learn competitors because they just uh, copy them, repeat uh, the same. But uh, all products have their advantages, disadvantages. It's better to find your unique selling proposition. Can you yeah. tell how to find ideas to create awesome marketing campaign that will actually work? Yeah, you're, you're, you're getting on to one of my favorite topics. So mm -hmm. as a consultant, the first thing that we typically ask somebody who's asking us for help is why would anyone want to do business with you? Well, why would I do business with you as opposed to your competitor? That's the first, mm -hmm. the first thing we usually ask. And 90% of the time, and I like to make up statistics 50% of the time, um, but you know, we'll ask that question and almost always the response isn't correct. Mm -hmm. Most companies don't know why people do business with them. Uh, an example years ago uh, was a, a company that manufactured uh, a, a packaging material. And they said people do business with us because we source domestically, because we can. And they made a list of all these th reasons that people do business with us. And all of them were basically what, what in poker you would call table stakes. They're, the reasons that people will do business with you is because you make the product the way you're supposed to? No. Why do people do business with you? Well, the research was done. And we talked to, their, we talked to customers who love them, customers who occasionally buy, and customers who ran away and refused to do business with them anymore to understand why did you do business with these guys. And it had nothing to do with their product. It had to do with responsiveness, the ability to customize mm -hmm. and, and do. It was all about service and, and support not about the product itself. Everybody's got the product, but mm -hmm. buying from them, if I'm a buyer and I goof and I didn't order, these guys will get me on the schedule this week, not two months from now. And if, if I have a product that has an issue and it needs to be resolved, I can get to a person and get it resolved in days as opposed to having to get into their RMA system and spend hours trying to figure out their bureaucracy. So, so, you know, it, all, all of that is, is part of, of, of understanding again, most companies believe they know why people do business with them. And I would tell you that most do not. Mm -hmm. Most do not. Yeah. Yeah. I often see that, you know, when I have a new client, I always ask, please tell me your unique selling proposition. And, you know, I see when uh, businesses are obsessed with their competition, competitors, you know, but they uh, don't think more about customers like Jeff Bezos, he proclaimed, uh, we are not obsessed with competitors. We are obsessed with our customers to uh, satisfy them, to help them to decide their problems. I think uh, it's a good idea to uh, highlight your unique selling proposition and mm -hmm. find your customers, target audience and sell to them, then trying to compete with uh, the whole market 
big companies that have huge resources and yeah to find your way um, i'm interested about uh learning can you tell because you know i have uh two uh uh, I think like I can divide my audience uh, with someone who wanna uh, set up marketing campaigns, uh, sell their products, and the second type are students who wanna jump on this field. Can you help uh, the second uh, type of uh, my audience uh, how to start learning about uh, uh, product development, launching products, uh, and marketing campaigns? It, the, the best school is to find the right mentors who are successful mm -hmm. in the field and learn and we have a real challenge right now because the youngest generation thinks that their ability to use technology puts them in front of everybody else but i'll, I'll mm -hmm. tell you those skills are tactical and and change every day so right now uh the tool that i'm using for marketing is x and it's this automated marketing system and it's getting me thousands of leads a day and this is all happening the technology is going to change next week and now i got to learn a new tool the tools aren't what make you a great marketer. It's knowing how to use the tools. So, you know, no email campaign. If you're if you're an expert in, I don't know, MailChimp or Constant Contact or one of these email things, and you know how to make it work and you know how to make emails go and follow up and track and all of that, that's fine. Do you know how to write an email? Mm -hmm. You know how to how to how to get someone in the first five seconds to go, I gotta read the rest of this and not just hit delete. So so the skill sets. Of, of using it. I, I'm really big as a woodworker. I, I built all the cabinetry in my house. I built my own furniture and all of that. I know guys that have the most beautiful wood shops you've ever seen. Tens of thousands of dollars with lathe, table saw, the greatest tools you ever saw. And uh, they don't make anything because they don't know how. Owning the mm -hmm. tools doesn't make you the master. So you got to put in your time. You don't graduate from college ready to be the VP or, or chief marketing officer of, of a company. You really have to pair up and find somebody who's been successful in the field to understand the underlying concepts of how these things work. Um, mm -hmm. Because that's where that's where things get ugly is mm -hmm. I've got this great marketing tool and it's not making me any money. And it's it, well, of course, it's not. So like when implementing a CRM in a business, if you let the IT guy do your CRM from from zero, they've never sold anything in their life. And now you've got a guy who understands and, you know, all the, the switches work properly, but is it set up to really be the companion to the salesperson to be able to, to manage all of the resources and customers and, and be able to, to convert their pipeline? So mm -hmm. that it, it, you know, there, there's no, there's no substitute for mentorship. Um, mm -hmm. You want to learn to be an expert marketer as a strategy strategist, which is where the executive world of marketing lies it's easy to be a tactician. Anyone can mm -hmm. learn that new software. I struggle with it sometimes because, you know, a new tool will come up and, and the implementation of the tool is the problem. I know what I want it to do. I just don't know how to make it. So I get a, I get a kid and I, I use that kind of facetiously because they're not really kids. But I get someone who's new and, and knows how to play with the tools to get that set up. But I know it won't work without the expert research that's been done by the team. And, and the, the copywriter who's the expert and the graphic designer and all the people who create that message that really speaks to what's in it for me in terms of the customer. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it. Can you tell how to find this mentor? If someone wanna find it and don't know how to find? Yeah, I mean, you, 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 if you've got a job somewhere, 
Instead mm-hmm. of just sitting at your desk and playing with tools, reach out to that person who's a leader in the company who, who does it. If you're in a company mm-hmm. where there isn't a, someone that can mentor you and help you grow and teach, you're probably in the wrong company. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is to, to become part of, of marketing groups, become a, through networking, you meet people, get people in confidence, let them know, I need a mentor. I, mm-hmm. you, you're an expert. I would love to learn from you. Most people are willing to spend a little bit of time with you. Um, I can think back in my career long before any of this digital marketing stuff ever existed of just mm-hmm. some brilliant business people who I, for lack of a better word, glommed onto and said, hey, I want to I want to learn from you. And they were mm-hmm. honored that someone wanted their expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, there there's there's lots of ways, but you have to reach out and get it. Nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what, kid, I think you got some potential. I'm going to mentor you. Mm-hmm. If that happens once in a thousand, I'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's better to communicate with uh, social media groups to find, uh, you know, uh, for example, I love reading blogs. Uh, someone uh, loves listening to audio podcasts. So it's up to you just to find great offers. Why not? You, you can learn from them as well. Uh, I'm interested about the future. Uh, can you tell uh, or forecast the future? Uh, what kind of future are you expecting uh, when new technologies are coming? I mean, like... Uh, AI, uh, sure. Metaverse, uh, and many other stuff, Web3, no, Zero, and something like this, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the, the AI, which is always a funny topic because most people who tell you they have an AI or machine learning really don't. Um, but the true true AI is, is going to be the future of, of marketing because we're going to be able to understand based on past behaviors and based on personas of, of our customers what makes sense to them and what doesn't. I, I've, I've talked about this a bunch of times. Imagine, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago when the internet was beginning and you would go to a big box retailer and you bought it, let's say you went to Home Depot and you bought a gas grill. Mm-hmm. Now, for the next six months when you would start getting emails, they'd be sending you, gas, you bought a gas grill, so I'm going to show you the sales on gas grills. And people were like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I already have a gas grill. Why are you sending me these ads? I'm not going to buy another one for years if it's a good grill. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're, you know, it's bad. Then the next phase was, well, most people who bought gas grills um, probably need spatulas and they probably need uh, uh, cover and they might want patio furniture and things like that. So with that, in, all of a sudden the ads started to make sense, but they were still repetitive. Now with an AI, you actually can look at that customer based on their demographic, based on their persona, based on the other items that they buy. And it may be that people who buy gas grills also, for some reason, 80% of those people who bought gas grills and these things, based on the pattern of purchase, are prime buyers of bricks. I don't know. But through mm-hmm. an AI that, that learns who you are and your behaviors and compares you to other people's purchasing, all of a sudden the ads can be customized to folks. And by the way, if it's a true AI and it suggests bricks and everyone who they thought would buy bricks, nobody bought them the AI learns and says, maybe we need to go to another category and do different things. So um, with with advanced data technology based on looking at the persona versus behavior and other things, that's really the future of that consumer market space. Yeah, yeah, love it. I think AI tools are not ready today to provide the complete job. I'm not sure uh, in the future it will be, be happen, but uh, today we can consider them. 
to simplify your uh, uh, researching data or uh, creating content. For example, I'm using AI tools and I compared my data, uh, for example, uh, my speed with writing myself and with AI tools. I can do this job 10 times faster, you know, because mm -hmm. these tools can help to find data. I need to edit to provide other job and yeah, it works well. So yeah, I think it, it's not the future, it's today, you know, we can consider that. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think the next generation of it is going to make a lot more sense in terms of its of its usability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, thanks a lot, Andrew. You know, for all your insights. Uh, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, I'm right. I'm right here. No, they can. <laughs> I can see. <laughs> easily find me on LinkedIn. You can mm -hmm. either probably reach me directly through through Smart Soda or through Fangle Fangle Group. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm easy to reach. I'm sure you'll put all my my stuff in the. Uh, in the notes for the show so people can find me after. But yeah, just look me up on LinkedIn, connect, and, and we can talk. Okay, nice. Guys, you can uh, reach out to Andrew. Uh, find links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Gotcha. You know, always valuable insights. Love learning from you. Guys, you need to follow Andrew to learn more about uh, modern marketing. Okay, guys, see you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.